I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Dugout from us here at Sportsmall. I'm Pascal Amir and Barney Hawke joins me as we look back on this week's football talking points. We'll reflect on last week's Premier League games and also look ahead to this week's matches in the top flight. But first, let's focus on the midweek quarterfinals in Europe. We'll get to the Europa League shortly, but let's start with the Champions League, Barnes. Uh, you covered a PSG Man City, which finished two. Is that a fair result? It was a fair result, really. City did really well to apply themselves, and they, they limited PSG pretty well. PSG obviously had the really good chances, not least through the penalty which Ibrahimovic missed, and then shortly after he got sent through one on one. But Man City's performance was very impressive, and considering PSG hadn't been beaten or only lost to Barcelona there, and I think it's since 2006 7 UEFA Cup group stages, it was a really, really good result for Man City and much better than uh, a lot of them expected. And it could have been even better for them. Obviously, De Bruyne getting that goal, it was against the run of play. PSG dominated possession as was expected, but De Bruyne getting that goal and then to gift the, the, um, the equaliser to PSG straight away in. Just a bizarre free goal, a terrible play from Fernando not to just either give it back to Hart, give it out to his left, instead allowing um, Ibrahimovic to close him down and then get that block in. Just a terrible, you don't need to give PSG and particularly Ibrahimovic any goals, so to do that would have been really disappointing. But then after falling behind the way they fought back again, a bit of luck about their second equalising goal, but they won't care a little bit. A, a, a second away goal to get and come away from the Parc de Princes with a two-all draw is a fantastic result for Man City and if they can replicate that performance then at the Etihad next week then I'd back them to go through which not many people expect them to do but I, I would still say PSG have got goals in the team so I would expect them to score at the Etihad but they need to score two really because you'd, you'd fancy City to score as well so it's a really intriguing um, setup going into the second leg and at, at the halfway stage I'd give City the edge because it was a really impressive performance and a, a fabulous result much better than most people expected. Yeah, it was it was a good game to watch, but it was another one which you know certainly defending from both teams very very questionable. You know, David Luiz on his day when he's really playing well, he can he can look very very good, but you know getting booked after what was it like ten seconds in that match, uh, and then he's obviously going to miss his second leg now. I think is Matuidi suspended as well. You know they're going to miss some key players PSG, and I certainly think uh, any any of the other big teams, you know especially say Barcelona and Bayern Munich, uh, looking at that game thinking who's the biggest threat here. I think they'd look at that and think we should be able to easily outscore both of these teams the way they're defending. Uh, Because like you said, mistakes all around the pitch, you know, conceding penalties, uh, gifting goals to the other team uh, from both sides. I I thought that was really poor. And I think certainly, even though it was an entertaining game, I'd be very surprised if if they keep playing like that, if either of those wins the competition, really. Yeah, you make a good point there. They they did look very vulnerable. And although it was good... Good to watch in this particular occasion, as you say, should PSG or Man City play like that against the Barcelona, you can see them getting ripped apart really and it was a sign for P- for PSG, I think they're ahead of Man City in terms of their European aspirations at the moment and they've got bigger hopes really of going all the way in this season's competition but I think it was a sign that both are still a level below Europe's real elite, the likes of Bayern Munich and Barcelona because they don't make those sorts of defensive errors and they're able of, uh, able to capitalise on them. To be fair, PSG, they don't usually make such defensive errors, but as you say, 
David Luiz is always a bit of a liability back there, and as it, it's just too many um, errors, and it happens too often. It, it was again a, a case of him being a liability rather than a, an, an asset to the team, and and that does happen too often, especially in in these big sorts of games. So that is something him missing the second leg might be a bit of a um, a blessing in disguise, really. If he plays like that again in the in the if he was to play like that and again in the second leg, the thing about Man City though is they they could get better. Aguero was not really involved at all against PSG, and if he is if he's really firing at the Etihad, then they'll fancy their chance of getting a few goals. And then we're going to talk about the Wolfsburg uh, Real Madrid game later. But they hold a lead against them, and if Wolfsburg can shock Real Madrid and get through to the semi-finals, a Man City draw Wolfsburg, then they'll really fancy their chance of getting all the way to the final. Then again. Uh, sooner or later you'd expect them to come up against a Bayern or a Barcelona and I don't think they're, they're good enough to beat them but they're on course for a very good result here and then who knows when you get to the semi-finals you really can start dreaming Yeah and I think what you were saying about Aguero there even though he had quite a quiet game I think he still looked good the odd moment he had you know obviously getting in behind David Luiz and getting that booking early on was you know that could be a key moment in the tie and then I thought he linked up the play quite well uh, here and there but I think De Bruyne you know the return of the return of him the last couple of games you know getting the opening goal uh, in that match also scoring a fantastic goal against uh, Bournemouth at the weekend you know his return uh, could be absolutely huge and if you know Silva's playing well if I mean Aguero you know he loves playing in the Etihad he scored so many big goals there for City and with De Bruyne back and seemingly you know he doesn't look rusty at all after his I think his two two months or so he, he had out I mean his return could be absolutely huge because just the goals and assists he provides, and he's not afraid of the big occasion, seemingly. And what you, I mean, do you think De Bruyne could, could he be the key player in the second leg? Yeah, potentially. He's he has just hit the ground running as soon as he come back from injury, and I I really rate him. I think he's a fantastic player, and he adds so much to this Man City team. I think without him being injured, they'd be right in and there in the title race. I think he has that big an effect on the team. And I think now for Man City, if they can get Sterling back, I know he hasn't been in the best form this season, but he's certainly an improvement on Jesus Navas. I think Navas really is the only really weak link in that trio behind. I don't, I don't see it adds too much to um, any really attacks. He's got pace, but he hasn't got any killer instinct. When he's in front of goal, he's, he's very, very rarely going to score. He, he can put the odd cross in, but I don't think he's good enough for a Man City team who wants the challenge on all fronts. So if they can get Sterling that um, back, and then that that three trio behind Aguero, who's obviously world-class himself, of um, Sterling, De Bruyne and David Silva, that's a really dangerous trio that could you know, hurt any team in the world. So De Bruyne's return is a huge um, thing for them but they're still missing some key players of injury obviously company's out for a while now the Ayar Torre is out at the moment as well so they're still missing key players if they can get a few of them back maybe towards the end of the season then it certainly helped their chances Yeah I think back to what you were saying about Navas I mean so many times when he goes down the wing I just think when he when he tries to put a cross into the middle it just looks like it's just hit and hope you know let's just put it into an area hope that it either hits a defender let's just get a corner out of this he, he always seems to just fire them in low a bit kind of it reminds me kind of what uh, Valencia does uh, at Man United like just tends to get in and just try and fire it into an area and I just think sometimes he needs to be a bit cleverer uh, with who he's looking out for in the middle but um, defensively for City you know like we've said shaky and without company there I mean you do worry about Otamendi and Mangala or Demichelis if he's playing I mean with those two well two of those three playing at centre-back you have to worry about the second leg and I mean, you'd probably back PSG. You know, Ibrahimovic's uh, goals and assists record is incredible this year. And if, if those two, well, two of those three play, you'd certainly, you, you'd say PSG should get at least one away goal. And I'd probably say maybe at least two. Yeah, I'd certainly back them to score because 
they always do seem to score this season. They've been in fantastic goal-scoring form. Obviously, in League One, uh, League One, they've already wrapped up the title in record time, so and scored a lot of goals in the process. But they've been free-scoring um, largely in the Champions League as well. So it would be very impressive if Man City were to keep a clean sheet in the second leg. I don't see that happening. But those two away goals could be key for them. That that, that Fernandinho uh, second equaliser. I don't think that can be understated how important that is because he's it, it gives them that cushion now that they they can expect PSG to score but that's not the end of the world if they do score it's not suddenly you know the tie is level again and they've cancelled out De Bruyne's um, opener which they worked so hard to get so that second away goal for Man City I think will be crucial in this tie and it make it sets it up really really nicely for the second leg and I'm expecting another thrilling clash between the two sides so who would you say uh, well who would you pick to go through I think I'm going to pick Man City to be honest I think although PSG will score I think Man City if they can replicate that sort of performance and usually they're a bit better at home as well I think if they can play to their best even without some of their key players I, f- I think they've got enough about them to, to beat PSG obviously PSG have shown in the last couple of seasons with Chelsea that they're capable of coming to England and getting a result and you certainly wouldn't back against them even scoring two away goals to cancel out those two for Man City but it could go either way. Man City have the slight advantage at the halfway stage, but I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna back the English side to go through. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's certainly it's very finely poised. I think PSG, you know, they've got a good record the last couple of years in England. You know, done well against Chelsea uh, in knockout ties against them. So I think it could be a very entertaining uh, second leg, and certainly another game which which should be a great second leg was the other game that was played on Tuesday night: uh, Wolfsburg Real Madrid. You know, Real Madrid go into that match having ended Barcelona's uh, Spanish record unbeaten run in El Clasico at the weekend. You know, they did really well in that game uh, to win to win at the Camp Nou, even though you know they probably still uh, haven't really got a chance of winning La Liga. But you know, go to Wolfsburg, who you'd probably say, well, either them or Benfica, uh, probably the weakest team in the last eight, and you know, not to be able to score an away goal there and lose two 0 the way they did. I mean, very very disappointing result. Uh, two goals in the first half from Wolfsburg. Julian Draxler uh, really stood out for the hosts. You know, I read so many. Uh, tweets and you know posts uh, saying how good he was playing in that one and they'll certainly be interested in that summer but as for Madrid I mean how disappointing a result is that? Yeah it's a huge shock for them and not what they would have been expecting because especially in the wake of that El Clasico thing El Clasico defeat all of the attention was on the Champions League winning the Champions League because as you mentioned La Liga seems to be beyond them they're obviously booted out of the Copa del Rey so the only chance um, for the silverware this season is another Champions League and they would, really would have fancied their chances especially having been drawn against Wolfsburg so to lose 2-0 in that really disappointing for them the only thing you would say with Real Madrid is they're capable of scoring 4 or 5 at home against Wolfsburg because they're so good in front of their own fans and they got so many dangerous players obviously the front three immediately come to mind with Bale, Benzema and Cristiano Ronaldo they're capable of easily wiping out that 2-0 deficit it could be a similar scenario to one Bayern found themselves in last season when they lost the first leg uh, 3-1 against Porto but then came back and won the second leg 6-1 and ended up cruising through to the semi-finals. It could be something similar to that but Wolfsburg will certainly take a lot of heart from that. They're in a really strong position and the record of teams to have won 2-0 in the first leg to have then gone through is, is huge. So they're, they're certainly, the I, th- I think, the favourites now at this stage of the, the tie but Real Madrid, they'll, they'll be backing themselves to score at least two goals at home against Wolfsburg and I, I'm probably still backing them to get through even with that first leg defeat Yeah certainly and considering you know it's Wolfsburg it's the first time they've ever got to the quarterfinals as well so such an impressive uh, result for them given you know the occasion for the for the club as a whole and 
I mean, they're, they're, they're new boys to this stage, but two much more experienced teams uh, at this stage of the competition, especially in recent years uh, on Wednesday night. The other real big heavyweight clash in the quarterfinals was uh, Barcelona against Atletico Madrid. And I mean, that game looked really tasty beforehand. And then Atletico, they score very early on through Fernando Torres, get the away goal, but then he gets sent off uh, in the first half. And that turned the tie on its head. Uh, in the end, Barca came through uh, 2-1, two goals from Luis Suarez. But Atletico, you know, even though uh, obviously... Considering where they were, it's a disappointing result. But certainly, they would have taken two one before the game, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think so. Considering the form Barcelona in, even with the El Clasico defeat the weekend before, Atletico still very much in that tie. And of all the quarterfinal ties, I think this is the most finely poised. They'll fancy their chances of getting something um, at the Vicente Calderon. The only question is, can they get the win that they need? Torres, I think. If, if he didn't get sent off, they would have had a really good chance. And I think he really let his team down because it was a stupid red card. I know all the Atletico Madrid players came out afterwards and said it wasn't fair. And it was no surprise to see one of their players sent off against Barcelona in the Champions League because UEFA want them to get far in the competition. But you can see exactly why he earned two yellow cards. And to do that in the space of six minutes with two pretty needless challenges as well. And then leave his, um, leave his side with ten men for the vast majority of the game. It's really, really disappointing play from Torres and he'll be kicking himself because they were in such a good position and the thing about Barcelona, even when they fall behind that front three, they've always got the goals in them to, to come back and get the win but 2-1, that away goal for Atletico, they're still very much in the tie and it's, it's such a finely poised one. Could go either way, I'd still back Barcelona just because their record and they've got goals, you'd expect them to score at the Vicente Calderon. They've won every game again, all three games they played against Atletico Madrid 2-1 this season now, I think, so you'd expect them to score again. But then again, Atletico do have that incredible defensive record and they're masters of the 1-0 or the 2-0. If they can pick up a 1-0 win, then they're through. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <clears throat> and I certainly think, yeah, I mean, Barcelona, you probably still say uh, they are favourites for the Champions League, even after that result. Um, but the other game, uh, the final game, the final quarter final that you watched uh, on Wednesday night, Bayern Munich, Benfica. Bayern took the lead, you know, inside two minutes, but Benfica then held them to that result for the rest of the match, and really impressive from the Portuguese side. It was impressive. It was more disappointing from Bayern, though. I think they were so far short of their their usual the usual standard, and when they took the lead after two minutes, Pep Guardiola said in the build-up that the Benfica defence was arguably the best in Europe, but. The defending for the first goal after just two minutes was was pretty poor and you thought then there could be a rout on the cards. Bayern were dominating possession, looking pretty dangerous when they were coming forward. But Benfica, they they came back into the match. They they really frustrated Bayern. Bayern weren't playing at their usual pace. When you com- compare that performance to the performance uh, in the first hour of the first leg against Juventus when they were just so good, so dominant, it was, it was chalk and cheese really Bayern were nowhere near that sort of level nowhere near that sort of pace playing it was one of their slowest and worst performances of the season obviously they still got the victory and the fact that we're saying a 1-0 victory for them is a, is a poor result for them is indicative of how big favourites they were and how, how such a strong team they were but the likes of Muller and Lewandowski haven't really seen them that quiet for a long long time they they didn't really offer much and Benfica deserve credit and they may feel that it should have been even better for them Jonas had a couple of really good chances in the second half which he would have fancied taking away the goal scoring form he's in so Benfica will take a lot of heart from that one they were in they were one of Europe's form teams going into the game it was never going to be a really easy game for Bayern certainly not as easy as many people expected with Benfica having one, I think it was 19 of their 20 games in all competitions going into that match so they always stood a chance but now 
to have limited them to a one nil limited buy into a one nil win going back to the uh, the stadium alight next next week it's a really interesting scenario there again Bayern always do seem to score so you'd back them to get the away goal and the the fact that Benfica didn't get the away goal at the Allianz Arena could prove costly I think in the end but they would take a lot of heart for that they know they now that they can match Bayern it's just a question of whether Bayern have another off day if they don't then you'd, you'd expect Bayern to go through because they've got so much quality in their side yeah, so even after uh, all these week's results, you still probably say that Barcelona and Bayern Munich are the two favourites uh, to win the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I think Madrid were probably the only team close to them, and obviously they're in the worst position out of out of those three teams. And neither Barca or Bayern, or for that matter PSG, who are in the mix as well, neither of them really impressed. They were they were short of their best. Um, all the favourites really for the ties, but at the same time. Barca still got the win, Bayern still got the win. I did think um, when the ties were, were drawn and even before then, I thought if one team is going to beat Barcelona in this Champions League, it might be Atletico and they they do stand a good chance. But for me, I do still think by, uh, Barca are the favourites. I back them to get through, I back them to score even, even with Atletico's um, really good defensive record. And then, you know, when you get to the semi-finals, it doesn't really matter who they come up against. They're capable of beating everyone because they are the best team in Europe, and I'm backing them to still go on and win the tournament. Yeah, it should be a the semi-final draw. Should be very interesting. Obviously, say if Wolfsburg do manage to get through there, that's the, that's the team that all the other three will be wanting to draw. And you know, say Bayern and Barcelona get each other in the semi-finals, that'll be a huge clash. And then obviously, you'd probably pick the winner of that match uh, to go on and win it. But uh, let's move on to the Europa League now. Uh, quarterfinals as well in that competition uh, on Thursday night, and uh, sort of pick of the ties was the you know the Jurgen Klopp derby, uh, Borussia Dortmund against Liverpool, uh, a game that you covered for us. Um, won all the scoreline there. Was that a fair result? It was a fair result, and Liverpool may feel that they should have even won the game. They certainly had the chances to win the game. Not many people gave them much of a chance going into the match because Dortmund were in such fabulous form, unbeaten in 2016, won 14 of their 16 games, and. I think in the last 13 games Bayern Munich were the only team to prevent them from actually winning so they were in magnificent form going into the game but a bit like PSG and a, um, and a bit like Bayern Munich they were far short of their best it wasn't the usual tempo was, was, uh, we're used to them playing Liverpool really stunted them quite, quite well prevented them from playing and Dortmund for the most part were limited to long range shots or, that were pretty comfortable for Mignolet and you know, when Mignolet wasn't making routine saves and it looked like Dortmund might score, the likes of Sacco and Lovren came to Liverpool's rescue with a couple of really, really good blocks to keep them in the game. And then, obviously, Origi, chosen ahead of Sturridge, which was quite controversial, uh, scoring the goal to put Liverpool ahead. Huge, huge goal for them. And had a really good chance at the end of the second half, uh, end of the first half as well, which probably should have put Liverpool 2-0 ahead. And then you're looking at the tie nearly over with two away goals if they can hold out in the second half. Obviously, that didn't happen. And the, the manner of the... Borussia Dortmund equaliser would be really disappointing for Klopp to come from a set piece and to be just so Matt Hummels coming in obviously such a big threat in the air not being marked at any point and then uh, getting the equaliser so that that's a disappointing aspect of it but on the whole Jurgen Klopp will be delighted with what he saw from his side Liverpool matched more than matched Dortmund for long long spells and although Dortmund saw more of the ball Liverpool probably had the better chance in that match and it'll give them a lot of confidence going back to Anfield Dortmund again as, as I've said a few times, they'll be confident of getting an away goal um, in at Anfield next week because they've got the goals in their team. But the likes of Aubameyang, uh, Mkhitaryan, they were all pretty quiet um, on Thursday. So 
If Liverpool can do a similar job on them at Anfield, then they stand a really good chance of going through and knocking the tournament favourites out in the process. And from there, it becomes a really open tournament. Yeah, and I think certainly there was a, a lot of better performances from players who perhaps have been a bit below par in sort of recent weeks and months. I mean, the likes of Lovren, he, he, he impressed me. Sacco, I think, just watching him recently, he's been good for quite a while now, Sacco. And I thought Lovren played well. Moreno seemed to be uh, better. And then Milner as well, I thought... You know, he, he hadn't had a couple of uh, great games recently, but I thought he was decent. Those three impressed me. And then, I mean, the blow for Liverpool was obviously the injury to Henderson in that one. And, I mean, Klopp said it d- didn't look good and it looks like a knee injury, which, you know, could obviously so close to the end of the season now, only a, a month and a bit to go of the season. So it could rule him out for the rest of the season, possibly. And then, obviously, you've got to look to Euro 2016 in England as well. I mean, how big a blow for, for, that, uh, for Liverpool is that? Yeah, it would be a big blow because he's... Although he he doesn't contribute too much in the way of goals and assists, he his example is really what is Liverpool need to be set when when he's closing down the energy he plays with in midfield. It's so important to the Jurgen Klopp side to to be that high pressing side, full of energy, full of quick tempo football, and he really sets the example there. He's the one who chases after everything. And without him, you can see the difference when Liverpool are playing. They're not as um, energetic. They're a bit more lethargic. So. It would be a big blow if he's out, and it didn't really. It looked quite innocuous when it happened. He just went down on the edge of the box, and a few minutes before half time, you could tell there was a problem. But he's been down a few times recently. He's obviously struggling with a heel problem at the moment, and he has done for, um, has done over the last year or so, which he's been able to live with. Um, and he was able to see out the end of the first half as well. So it was quite. It was a bit of a surprise that Jurgen Klopp then came out after the match and said it looks quite bad and it's not good news for his side. So it does seem like he could be out for a few weeks now which would be a blow and on the one hand it might give him a chance to rest his heel a bit um, while he's recovering from the knee injury, recover from the heel injury as well but I'm sure Jurgen Klopp would much rather have him for the closing stage of the season and he is a big loss particularly looking ahead um, to the second leg against Borussia Dortmund. His energetic style in midfield is, is going to be really important against Dortmund so, so for, to be missing him for that is a big blow for Liverpool. Uh, just one other question on uh, another of Liverpool's midfielders, uh, Emre Chan. You know, still very young, very impressive player. Um, but you know, he he's, he picked up his tenth booking of the season uh, the weekend in the Premier League. So he's suspended for the next two in the league. He got booked again last night uh, in the Europa League. But I saw a stat that I think he made more tackles than anyone else in the game. Is he a player that you think needs to maybe just curb his tackling and try to get booked less, or do you think that's part of what makes him a you know a very promising young player? I think it's part of what makes him a good player. I think he- he likes. He's very physical. He's big and strong, and he likes to put his uh, throw his weight about a bit. And obviously, that can sometimes incur the wrath of the referee when he's blocking off a a, a, um, a midfielder breaking f- from a counter attack, for example. But so many times where he's he's very borderline. He's either very close to getting the ball and making a really good challenge, and a lot of the challenges he does make, which are given a fouls, he actually does get the ball. It's just the physicality he goes in with. Um, results in the foul so I, I I don't think you want to take too much of that away from him maybe he's got to be a bit smarter sometimes in in the yellow cards he's getting because he's got a few silly ones over the years um, um, over the last couple of years so maybe he's got to get a bit smarter but I, I wouldn't take that away from him I'm, I've been very impressed with him and I think he's he's got the potential to be a, a very very good player in that centre midfield for quite a long time but Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, the yellow cards is a problem. You don't want a player missing uh, two games through suspension just through the yellow cards. So that is a problem, but... I wouldn't be too worried about it because he makes some important challenges. It's very important for the the man there in that in the heart of the midfield to break up attacks, and you don't want him pulling out of tackles because then people might skip past him and carry on the attack and go and score a goal. So I'd rather him make those tackles and pick up the odd yellow card than pull out of any of them. Yeah. So before that game, you know, Borussia Dortmund they were the big favourites uh, to go on and win the competition, but you know, certainly I think their odds have gone up a bit after that result last night because you know, many people would have expected them to win, and I think. Certainly, you've got to look at Sevilla, really, for the team who might be, you know, on course for another, you know, win in this competition. They've won it the last two years, and last night they go to Athletic Bilbao, all Spanish tie. Uh, they've got the away leg first, two-one win uh, there in Bilbao, so they're in pole position to go through. And certainly, you wouldn't back against them to win it again this year, would you? No, as you say, they got such a fantastic record in this competition. They know how to win it, and. I think those were the two um, clubs who were just behind Dortmund in the favourites uh, list. So one of them obviously going to knock the other one out. And for Sevilla, Bilbao, they've been in since the third qualifying round, I think. So they've come a long way. So for Sevilla to get that away victory, really, uh, obviously, massive favourites now for the second leg going into it. And should Dortmund crash out to Liverpool, then Sevilla will find themselves as favourites, I think, and then Liverpool closely behind. So it. Those two results going in, whoever goes out in that Bilbao Sevilla game and then whoever goes out in the Liverpool Dortmund game, that will throw the competition wide open, particularly if Dortmund, the favourites, are to crash out. So it makes for those two results make for a really interesting uh, potential semi final draw. If Sevilla and Liverpool avoid each other, then you fancy them both to um, go into the final should they make it through. And then that's a really good final that is. It could go either way. So I put Sevilla. Should Dortmund go out, I put Sevilla probably as, as next favourites after that really good, impressive result in Bilbao. But it would be really open should those results, those first leg results, hint at who's actually going to go out in the competition. Yeah, obviously Spain, they're so well represented, you know, in these quarterfinals. Three teams in the Europa League, two in the Champions League. Uh, the other one in the Europa League was Villarreal. Uh, took an early lead uh, against Sparta Prague, then Prague equalised, but uh, Bakambu, the Villarreal informed young forward, he, uh, he got two goals in that one, 2 1 to Villarreal. Uh, you'd say their favourites there. And then the other tie uh, in Braga, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, they won 2-1 there. That was the game I watched. And real nothing first half uh, in that game. Braga probably just edged it. But then just before half-time, uh, Shakhtar took the lead uh, from a corner. You know, took a slight deflection. Didn't really deserve that goal. But then they came out in the second half much better uh, in the second half, Shakhtar. And they've had some impressive results. They knocked out Schalke convincingly 3-0, I think, and Anderlecht 4-1 in the last two rounds. So they're a team to really look out for, even though, you know, they, every season they seem to lose. You know, their best players, Shakhtar, but they look like a very solid side. Uh, went two 0 up in that game, and then that that seemed to kill it off. You know, the crowd went quiet. Uh, Braga didn't seem to do anything, but then just right at the end, Braga got a goal. Uh, so that game finished two one uh, to Shakhtar. But you know, it, I mean, that that late goal for Braga gives them a bit of hope. Um, but certainly, Shakhtar two away goals now going back uh, to Ukraine for the second leg. Their favourites there, and I'd say they're a team to look out for there. Uh, uh, going into the semi-finals but yeah like you said I think certainly um, the first two ties we were talking about uh, Liverpool Dortmund uh, Sevilla Bilbao they look like the two better ones but you know Villarreal and Shakhtar Donetsk two good results for them in the opening legs and you certainly wouldn't count them out would you? You wouldn't count them out no because they've got the Shakhtar in particular have got the ability to to raise their game for and and beat not one of those other teams out there but I would I'd, I'd, I'd guess that the favourites 
and the winners of the competition would come from one of the two first legs we, uh, matches we talked about. Villarreal, should they come against up up against um, Spanish opposition in the semi-finals, then the uh, the winners of Bilbao Sevilla. Then it would be an interesting one because you know obviously the the two Spanish teams they know each other well. They might be able to pull off a, a, what would be something of a shock there, but I would expect the two um, the the winner of the competition to come from either Sevilla Bilbao or Liverpool Dortmund. To be honest. Okay, let's move on to. Um... A big piece of news in the Premier League. Before we sort of take a look at all the games uh, last weekend, this weekend, uh, the big piece of news the last few days, uh, well, sort of the worst kept secret uh, in terms of managers coming in, but uh, Antonio Conte confirmed as the new Chelsea manager. Um, Gus Hiddink, you know, he's done a good job since coming in as the interim boss, but he said he was never going to stay on. And, you know, Conte, current Italy manager, he'll leave at the end of Euro 2016. Uh, he'll be coming in formally uh, in charge of Juventus as well. So he's got good pe- pedigree in recent years. And, I mean, what do you make of the whole appointment? Yeah, I think it's a good one for Chelsea. I think, um, obviously, it's what many people expected. I think he's pretty much exactly what Chelsea need right now. He's, he's got to do a similar job with them that he did with Juventus. You'd probably say it's a bit of an easier job because Chelsea have certainly got the players and this season seems to just be a bit of a blip. They'd certainly be hoping so. But when he went to Juventus, they'd finished uh, seventh in Serie A the two seasons prior to that. And then he immediately took them to three consecutive league titles. So his pedigree is certainly there and he's he's got the... Um, the track record that will that will excite um, Chelsea fans. Obviously, there's the question mark over this match fixing scandal that's surrounding him at the moment, which you know that doesn't seem uh, too good for him. But certainly, in terms of his record uh, in the dugout, he's 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 got a good one, and we'll wait to see how he does with Italy at Euro 2016. But it's it's quite understandable that he's missing um, club football to. Have, Obviously, I think it was a dream job for him when he got the Italy job at the end after the um, 2014 World Cup. So to then quit it after two years pretty much uh, tells you that he's really missing club management, can't get back into it. So he's going to have the desire, he's going to have everything you need really when you're coming into a new club to get them back up and running, get them back into being a a major English force. And those three consecutive um, Serie A titles for Juve will look very, very good for Chelsea fans who want to get back up there and start winning Premier League titles again. Yeah, it's going to be a massive season for them, isn't it? You know, certainly hugely disappointing this year given where they are on the table and just how bad defence it's been. But yeah, like you say, the squad they've got, they, they should be pretty confident uh, of you know getting back up into the top four next season. And I mean, there were sort of differing reports after Conte's appointment about uh, the future of Diego Costa. You know, some I saw some papers saying that. He's gonna he's gonna really make him a linchpin of the side. But then others uh, claiming that you know Costa could be showing the door, and I mean they, they certainly need to go after a new striker if, if if he if he was to leave. I mean, do you think Costa? I mean, he hasn't had a great season this year, and certainly he riles a lot of you know opposition players, you know uh, viewers, you know everyone really the way he can play the game. Do you think he has a long term Chelsea future, Costa? I, mean, I I if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd like to think so because he's. Although all opposition fans and opposition players probably hate him, he's the type of player who, if he was on your team, you'd absolutely love him because he just he really fights for the cause. He does everything he can to win, even if you know obviously that the the, the lines of the rules are blurred a bit for him. So he steps over the line a few times. Um, but if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd want him to stay because he's got a he's got a good goal record. He was fantastic um, last season on the way to the title. He's been pretty good since Chelsea uh, since Jose Mourinho left this season as well so I would want him to stay I think he's one of on form he's one of the toughest strikers to play against in the world and he's he's got the goal, goals as well but if they do get rid of him then 
there's no doubt that they need a new striker because Loic Remy's certainly not good enough to fire them to the Premier League title and uh, Pato's obviously only there on loan. Um, so, yeah, they'd certainly need a new striker. I would be surprised if he got rid of him, to be honest. It depends, really. Conte, you, by all accounts, he's a very... Um, a bit of a disciplinarian and he's very loud in the um, the dressing room when he comes in he likes the hairdryer treatment quite a bit and it depends how a player and a character like Costa would react to that really only only um, Conte and Costa will know that and when it happens so it'll be interesting to see there what happens but uh, f- from the outside I think Chelsea should keep hold of Costa because he's such a difficult and hard player to play against no when Chelsea comes to town no opposition defender is looking forward to it because they know they're going to be up against Costa so I, I would keep him I'd want to keep him if I was a Chelsea fan so it'd be interesting to see what Conte does it just depends if there's going to be a clash of personalities between the two I suppose yeah definitely I think well Costa he wasn't there at the weekend for Chelsea uh, suspended at the moment but you know Pato came in and well he, he didn't start the match but came off the bench uh, early injury that Remy got against Aston Villa and Pato came on, scored in the first half from the penalty spot after winning a penalty and then um, set up a fantastic third goal for Chelsea in that match. Uh, it was a lovely team goal, but the whole thing with that result, 4-0, reached well on paper, but you know it's only Aston Villa who are right at the bottom and the atmosphere there was just, it was it was awful from Villa really. I mean, the, the fans, they've, they've now turned sarcastic, you know, it, I mean, they were laying, you know, uh, passes after about 15 minutes in the first half when Villa strung a few passes together and then, you know, when Alan Hutton gets sent off, all the fans, you know, rush to the front of the... Uh, to the front of the stand, we're all clapping him off. It's, the mood there is so sarcastic. You saw the signs, proud history, what future, uh, all the Villa fans. It's such a sour atmosphere there, and you do feel uh, a bit sorry for Villa because they are definitely going down. Shocking result there. Um, other notable results last weekend, I mean, 4-0 as well uh, for Arsenal against Watford. Uh, Man City against Bournemouth. No real surprise there because Watford and Bournemouth, two sides, obviously came up last season. They've done well uh, to get the points they have, um, but they look pretty safe, both of those teams, and yeah, no real surprise there, especially Arsenal. I thought they were going to win that convincingly just because uh, Watford were the team that knocked them out of the FA Cup, so they were sort of seeking a bit of revenge there. Um, but arguably the biggest result of the weekend was that uh, Norwich-Newcastle game. Huge game at the bottom. Uh, Norwich, the better team for, for much of that game. Um, but Mitrovic came on for Newcastle, scored two goals to get them back in it. Uh, and then Newcastle, they pushed for the winner at the end there, but in the end it was Norwich. Uh, 93rd minute, I think it was. Uh, question of handball in the build-up, but uh, Martin Olsen... Uh, drilled it in the bottom corner and that is just a huge win for Norwich isn't it you know they're, they're in good form recently the Canaries I think they've uh, got seven points out of nine from their last three games and you know that is just massive and Newcastle now six points from safety would you say they're going down it, it does look that way doesn't it it's, I, I said before the Norwich game that it was a must win for Newcastle if they lost I thought they'd go down the question mark in my head is still the Rafa Benitez factor because you wouldn't back against him sorting things out and you know getting a few points on the board and he obviously needs a few wins now but it's such an uphill struggle for Newcastle that they needed to win that game and coming off the back of the draw against Sunderland uh, before the international break as well one point from those six games is not really good enough at all so it's going to take a bit of a great escape for them to get out now I'd I'd certainly put them as favourites to go down alongside Aston Villa and you know the Norwich victory on the flip side of that is absolutely huge for them to go four points clear of the relegation zone absolutely massive because a few weeks ago when they were in pretty dreadful form we were saying they were definitely down and then to string together two back-to-back victories shows you how quickly um, things can change in the Premier League and obviously Newcastle will be hoping that happens to them in the next couple of weeks but for Norwich to have done that at such a crucial time is absolutely huge for them and now obviously they've they've played a game more than Sunderland and Newcastle which is another reason for a question mark about um, over them but 
right now the survival is in their hands and they'll just be desperate to keep on picking up a few points here and there to to keep them at arm's length of the, those northeast duo at the bottom. Yeah, I think Norwich, you know, their next two games huge for them as well. They go to Palace this weekend and you know, Palace uh, shocking form uh, since Christmas really. No win. Uh, the only team in the top four tiers uh, not to win in 2016. Uh, and then after that, they've got Sunderland. So one of the other teams below them. So a huge couple of games coming up for Norwich. But the way they're playing at the moment, if they can get, say, maybe four or six points uh, from these two games, they'd be in a great position to stay up. And then, you know, then you'd probably say that there's no chance of Sunderland uh, and Newcastle catching them, really. Um, but the other big games last weekend, in terms of uh, the other end of the table, at the top of the table, uh, Leicester 1-0 winners again. They just keep doing it. Uh, went seven points clear uh, with that win. 11 above Arsenal. Uh uh, with the victory incredible result and I mean it was a good win for them but as for Spurs going to Liverpool it was always going to be a tough game there but a one-all draw there and they seemed I mean Pochettino at the end especially he was punching the turf he was absolutely you know gutted they couldn't get the win there but I mean as for Leicester they are just well surely they're going to do it now seven points is is, is that catchable even though well I mean Arsenal got a game in hand but Spurs haven't and seven points surely that's too big a gap now it should be too big, big a gap the, the Arsenal do have a really nice run in of the Tough game um, this weekend against West Ham United, which is going to. If I think they need to win that to stay anywhere near um, the title race, and then they've only got Man City really left, who you wouldn't back them to win against left in the um, in their running. So it is a kind running for Arsenal, but they've got such big ground to make up on, unless they're eleven points for that. And then Tottenham, they've got a difficult one this weekend against Manchester United as well to follow up that trip to Anfield. It was always going to. They had the toughest running of the top three. And to drop points at Anfield, it was a really good game, and either side could have won it. And you know, on on in any other situation, they wouldn't be too disappointed with that one or draw. But they needed a win, really, particularly then with Leicester going and winning against Southampton on the Sunday, which was another it was a an, another one 0 win, which you might say is four in a row now for them. They're scraping through games, but that wasn't really the case against Southampton. It could have been more. Fraser Forster kept Southampton in the game with a few big saves, so. You know, that was more comfortable than the scoreline might suggest, whereas some of their more recent 1-0 wins haven't really been. They have rather scraped through there, but they just keep answering the questions, the pressure. If there is any pressure on them, they keep saying there's not, but the pressure keeps growing every week and they keep answering the questions and keeping, you know, that that big seven-point gap to to second place intact. So it's going to take a bit of a collapse now um, from Leicester to blow this one. Certainly their major favourites, the title is completely in their hands. Um played the same amount of games as Tottenham so they haven't got a game in hand Arsenal do have a game in hand but then that 11 point gap is still is pretty um, pretty big for them to make up so it is looking for all the world as if Leicester will go all the way and, and win the title which you know such a fantastic story we've said it so many times if they can pull it off it's an incredible feat and obviously they got Sunderland I think this this weekend's match against Sunderland is quite a tricky one they've got Sunderland are going to be fighting for their lives uh, with Norwich's result against Newcastle last weekend as well, it makes a Sunderland result all the more important. So they're always a dangerous side around this time of the season. They always seem to string together a few results um, to to survive at the last uh, at the last stage. So that's gonna, I think that's gonna be a difficult one for Leicester. But the form they're in, you certainly back them to win that one as well. So should be another three points on the board and another step towards the league title. They only need four more uh, wins to win the league title, so they're edging ever closer and it's hard to see them, um, anyone really stopping them now and bridging that, that big gap they've got. Yeah, I certainly would say, even though what you said about Sunderland obviously scrapping for their lives down there and they were pretty unlucky not to win last weekend. They drew 0-0 against West Brom, but they had far more shots than the baggies in that game and you know could have easily won that match. So a bit unlucky not to win there, but even with that, 
just the confidence Leicester, they were just going to every match just full of confidence and even though they haven't been scoring as freely uh, in recent weeks as they were earlier on in the season, I think they're just a bit unstoppable at the moment and fair play to them. They've done, they've done fantastically and I mean, John Terry, he sort of uh, sent out an Instagram photo of his PFA uh, sort of Premier League Team of the Year yesterday and he had seven Leicester players uh, in his Premier League Team of the Year and he had Mares as his uh, Player of the Year as well. So, that just shows how good an impression they've made on a player like Terry. I mean, fair play to them. They've done fantastically there. Um, just going back to the Liverpool-Spurs game last weekend, I think the one really good thing about that game, I mean, we've talked earlier on about PSG-Man City and uh, the state of the defending in that game. And that's the thing that's been said about so many other big games in the Premier League this season. You know, uh, entertaining, but, you know, the quality has lacked. But certainly, I thought in that Liverpool-Spurs game, the quality... Uh, both sides going forward defensively. I thought it was a really high-quality game. and I don't know if you agree with that, but both goals, you know, really well worked for Coutinho. And then Harry Kane, the way he took his goal, uh, 22 goals for the season now, obviously having a great year. Uh, it was a really good game, wasn't it? It was a really good game. And it was two, it's what we expected, maybe not as go- as many goals as we expected, but as you mentioned, that's to do with uh, the quality on show from both sides at the back as well. It was, it, it did take two really good goals to actually, to breach either defence and, in the end, you probably say, although both sides had chances to win the match, you'd probably say a draw was the fairest result. Coutinho's goal was a lovely team move and just passing the ball in. Such a cool finish to pass the ball into the corner. But Harry Kane's finish, I absolutely love that. That was just so mm-hmm. good to, to turn his man. Lovon, you might say, got a bit too close to him, got sucked in a bit, when, and he was quite easy to turn. But the finish was impeccable. He's, I've been so impressed with um, Harry Kane. Obviously, the, the big question was is he going to be a one season wonder but he's shown time and time again after a slow start to the season that he is a, a strike of true genuine quality and that goal was I, I think one of one of the best he scored since breaking into the side last season it was such a good finish from him so crisp just so clinical and the fact that he's now already 22 goal, league goals for the season which no Tottenham player has ever done in the Premier League before just is, is testament to his quality at the moment I think it's a bit, I've always said Aguero is the best striker in the league, but right now is how he came for me. He's in superb form, and just he's, he's he knows where the goal is. He's not afraid to shoot, and he's he's just so clinical. And I think if when he leads the line for England at Euro 2016, I think he's going to be a real real danger for them because he has got so much quality, more quality than I gave him credit for for much of last season and the early parts of this season. Yeah, just uh, one other thing to touch on uh, from match day 32 last weekend. Uh, the top four race, you know, we said about City winning 4-0, so they're fourth, one point above Man United. And I mean, Man United, they played Everton <clears throat> um, on the Sunday and a bit of a nothing game really in that one. Uh, Martial got the only goal, 1-0 there. But as for West Ham, they've dropped off a bit in recent weeks. Uh, 2-2 against Palace. Pae scored another amazing free kick in that one, but that was a disappointing result against Palace. And I mean, they can count themselves a little unlucky uh, in recent weeks, West Ham, because uh, against Chelsea, they had, they had the penalty that was a bit of a dubious one uh, late on, which gave Chelsea a point. And then, you know, they had the red card against Kuyate against Palace, which, you know, uh, since been rescinded. I mean, he went in quite high, but his studs weren't showing towards the man. They were showing away from the away from the player. That was a really harsh red card, and that kind of turned the game. But, I mean, West Ham uh, face Arsenal this weekend, like we said, and... They've probably got. They're probably more focused, perhaps, on the uh, FA Cup quarter-final replay in midweek against Man United. So, do you think maybe West Ham's chance of finishing the top four are over? I wouldn't say they're over just yet because they've got the quality in their team with Pay in particular to to string a few wins together. And as you say, without those dubious refereeing decisions, which would probably say cost them a few points, which in the end uh, could end up costing them millions and millions in Champions League. So, you know, those those are. Two, 
big decisions from the referee which have had big um, effects on their obviously they were leading Crystal Palace 2-1 when that red card came so you could maybe say that contributed to to Palace coming away with a point there which was a really disappointing result for West Ham in the end considering Palace's form which we've already mentioned but I, I, I don't think they're out of the top four race just yet I think if they can pick up a few wins in the next few games they've got Arsenal which is obviously a huge game um, and Arsenal themselves aren't entirely out of the um, reckoning when it comes to the top four race you'd expect them to see over the line with the running they've got but Man City, United and West Ham all chasing pretty hard there then they've got Leicester. If they can pick up a win there, which is obviously going to be very difficult for them, if they can pick up wins in the next two Premier League games, then it should give them huge confidence because they're playing teams above them in the table. And we know with Man City, you know they're they're being very inconsistent, more inconsistent than we're used to seeing with Man City this season. You never know really which one is going to turn up over the ever laden one with the, where they give goals away um, so cheaply, or or the team that turned up against Bournemouth uh, last weekend when they're just business like and they get the get the goals that you know the dominance deserved in that match so you never know really which one of them and if they get through to the Champions League semi-finals maybe they've got a bit of a distraction there so it is going to be really interesting and I, th- I think it's biggest for Man City to get into the Champions League just because of the Pep Guardiola factor but they've been chased really hard any slip-ups you'd expect Manchester United and West Ham United to be hot on their heels to to take advantage of them so it's really in- interesting for the f- closing stage of the season there. Yeah just looking at the table now I mean I mean, just the way it sits now, the top four and the bottom three, I mean, personally, I'd say that's, I mean, if I was to predict it, I'd say that's how it's going to finish in terms of the top four being Leicester, Spurs, Arsenal, Man City, and then the bottom three being Sunderland, Newcastle, Villa. I mean, do you see it going any other way? No, I think I'd agree with that. Maybe the biggest question mark, I do think City will hold off the threat of United and West Ham in the closing stages of the season. I think the biggest question mark is if Sunderland can win their game game in hand over Norwich, then the gap is only one point between the two sides so that is going to be a very interesting one towards the end of the season if they can um, but then it is a big if them winning their game in hand they they keep picking up points four draws in a row for them now and we expect that from Sam Allardyce just picking up points keeping them going but they need to start picking up wins because Norwich have got those two back-to-back wins so for me it's probably between Norwich and Sunderland um, at the bottom but no, I think I'd probably agree with the current state of affairs at the top four and the bottom three would be how it would finish. Lovely stuff. All right, Barnes, I think that's uh, just about all we've got time for this week. Um, do make sure you head to the website, sportsmore.co.uk, this weekend for live coverage of all the big Premier League games. We've got West Ham, Arsenal, Palace, Norwich, Tottenham, Man United, plenty of big games. Uh, so do head to the website for that. Barnes, thanks a lot. And uh, thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.